Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I guess today we'll call the show Coffee with Cannon since it's sort of early in the day. And maybe maybe we'll make a rule. After six, we'll call it <laughs> Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. And I like before that. six, we'll call it Coffee with Cannon or water or backyard beverage, whatever the hell you want to call it. But uh, an interesting an interesting case we're going to cover today. And um, we covered very early on the Alec Baldwin uh, shooting of Helena Hutchins on the uh, set of the movie Rust. And there's been a lot of um, moving parts. We're hearing a lot of different lawsuits. We all watched as Alec Baldwin went on, uh, I call him George Snuffleupagus, the interview on ABC that was a, a total sham of an interview. It was just uh, George uh, Stephanopoulos, uh, to use his, his real name, he was throwing him beach ball questions. And then the next day on Good Morning America acted as if this was such an intense interview. Yes, it was so intense that you never did real follow-up questions that any that you would have done on anyone you didn't like. But because this was a, a fluff interview, you did basically zero follow-up interviews. There he is, Smiling George. There he is, Snuffleupagus. And here he is next to Alec there, smiling. You know, and uh, they called it unscripted. If you watch that interview, it was anything but unscripted. There was cuts. There was edits. I mean, let's not say – I mean, to say it was unscripted is an out-and-out bald-faced lie, you know. And so as we predicted early on in this case, there was going to be um, lots of lawsuits. And they're starting to pour in right now. And one thing that hasn't been determined yet is if and when there will be critical uh, criminal liability to this case. And I believe that that's coming. I think they're taking their time. They're going to do a very thorough, intense investigation. And no one likes, especially criminal prosecutors, likes a civil suit going on at the same time as the criminal case because each side is interviewing the same witnesses. So the same witnesses are being questioned by different investigators, and it can taint the criminal case. However, they're never going to bring back uh, Helena Hutchins. And what the family does need and what the aggrieved people need in this case is they need to be compensated. So in this case, I believe that the civil part is even more important than the criminal part. The criminal part will determine whether or not, and there's going to be lots of negligence in this case in my, in my view. So the criminal case will determine that, but then the civil case will not only determine negligence, but damages. Phil, thoughts? Well, I think um, what you said uh, right there about uh, the parallel investigations going on, criminal investigation, and then the civil attorneys are probably hiring private investigators to look into it. Uh, if I was in charge of the uh, criminal investigation, that would kind of tick me off. Uh, if they stepped on the toes of my investigation. What I mean by that is if they're uh, trying to interview witnesses that I have interviewed and maybe need to do some follow-up. Uh, it's been a while. Maybe uh, most of the criminal investigation is kind of wrapped up. However, I do think that the civil should wait until 
uh, criminal investigation is done, whether there be charges or they call uh, an entity investigation that there's not going to be charges, whatever the case may be. However, a lot of these lawsuits, they want to get a jump on it. They want to, uh, you know, get in the game and get to these witnesses while things are still fresh in their mind. So I do understand both sides of it. Like I said, I wouldn't want anybody stepping on the toes of my investigation. Um, but I do think that the civil part of it is very important because, uh, you know, when people get hurt in the pocket, so to speak, whether it be insurance companies, uh, whether it be production companies, whether it be individuals, it's going to change things in the industry. And what I mean by that is this, if an insurance company has to pay out a ton of money, the next time that they have to insure a production, they're going to make sure that the I's are, are dotted and the T's are crossed and that all safety precautions are in place and being adhered to. So that's what may cause change in this. Criminal investigation and criminal charges is only going to affect the people who um, are, uh, you know, are charged in the case, whether or not they're found guilty and so on and so forth. That will have some effect as well, where it'll put people on notice that, Hey, if I'm in charge of this production, let's say Alec Baldwin is hit with criminal charges. He's now the producer on it. He's the on-site producer. If he gets hit with criminal charges, it might make future productions think twice about safety. So that's going to be a good part of it. Uh, we don't know that there's going to be criminal charges in the case. We feel there should be. There was definitely tremendous amounts of reckless behavior. So, uh, but again, the civil part of it, that's going to put the insurance companies on notice. It's when they get hurt in the pocket, they're going to look to prevent that in the future that they don't want to pay out. So uh, right, let's, let's, of it. let's watch a little bit of um, his performance on George Snuffleupagus uh, show here. And uh, here it goes. Yeah, now. I think the big question, and the one you must have asked yourself a thousand times, how could this have happened? You described it as a one in a trillion shot, and the gun was in your hand. How do you come to terms with that? It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. What did you think happened? How did a real bullet get on that set? I have no idea. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. How do you respond to actors like George Clooney who say that every time they were handed a gun, they checked it themselves? Your emotions are so clearly so right there on the surface. You felt shock. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? You said you're not a victim, but is this the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Yes. Because I, I, I think back and I think of what could I have done? Alec Baldwin, unscripted, the newsmaking special event, tomorrow night at 8, 7. You know, the, fo the a follow-up question that a good journalist would have said is, you didn't pull the trigger? How did the gun go off then? You know, and he didn't follow up with the most obvious question that journalism student 101 would have asked. You didn't pull the trigger, Alec. Then how the hell did that gun go off? And if he did a little bit of research, if he watched some of the ballistics experts that had been on the other channels, if he watched the ballistic expert that we had on, John right. Pellucci, who did right. an unbelievable demonstration of how the gun could not have gone off without a finger pulling that trigger, he would have followed up with a question yet. And of course, that that's the edited version because I wanted to cut to the chase. So 
However, it's a longer version. He goes into a deep uh, explanation of how he has no guilt, of has, has no culpability in this. Uh, that gun, how did that gun get loaded? Guess what, fool? When a gun is handed to you, you're supposed to open it and check whether it's loaded or not, and then check whether the rounds are, in fact, dummy rounds by shaking them. And you didn't do any of that. And there's many other things that you were negligent in. So instead of extolling your innocence, you have to take a little bit of responsibility. Now you're going to have to because the lawsuits are coming out of the woodwork like you would not believe. You know, Billy, uh, you brought up uh, the fact that he says he didn't pull the trigger. And we had John Pellucci on, who's an obvious firearms expert, gave a tremendous uh, demonstration on how the gun would have to be a, a defective gun. Now, based on this recent lawsuit that was cited uh, uh, with uh, Helena Hutchins' family attorney, uh, they believed that the gun was not defective. So again, he refused to take a safety instruction on how to cross draw, you know, cause he was apparently the shot was he was seated in the church and he pulls out the gun from a cross draw position, which cross draw means that if you're righty, the gun is on your left side and you pull it across you. That's why it's called a cross draw. And he very easily could have accidentally pulled the trigger on it. Again, uh, there's an old saying that when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, uh, when it comes to firearms safety, you must always assume that the gun is loaded. You can't assume that the person that handed you that gun checked it, whether they did or they didn't, unless you see it with your own two eyes, you cannot assume that that gun is not loaded. So again, there should have been dummy rounds. There wasn't somehow or another, a live round got mixed in, but I could clearly see how easily he didn't take the safety course on how to cross draw. Uh, you know, I don't think that it's beyond uh, belief that somebody like Al Baldwin is going to say, no, no, I don't need that. You know, just hand me the gun. And again, the armorer was believed not to be in the room. The actual armorer, um, her name is, uh, let's see, I have it right here. Uh, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, that she wasn't even in the room when that whole thing was going down, that the gun was handed by the director uh, director is, um, I'm sorry, not the director by the AD, the assistant director, David Halls, that he handed him the gun. So, uh, and then he calls out cold gun. How does he know it's a cold gun? Did he check it? These are all the things that we need to know. That's how we get to the bottom of it. Phil, I don't know if you're running for mayor, but apparently CR <laughs> wants to nominate you. Uh, CR, thank you for the $10 super chat. Phil Grimaldi for mayor. Thank you, fellas. Thank you I so want to show, I want to show a, a video that's made by the attorney for the Hutchins family. A uh, very important video. And we're going to play it now. And keep this in mind of all the things that they have found out since this by interviewing all different types of witnesses. And yet, when he appeared on ABC with George Snuffleupagus, none of these questions were ever, ever asked. Let's play a little bit of this.
after the warning of the unsafe production, the workers that had complained quit in protest of the safety conditions. The producers directed the super unsafe production to continue. This is the story of what Mr. Baldwin and the Rust crew and cast committed major breaches of industry safety protocols. Mr. Baldwin and his production crew were performing a lineup. A lineup is used to confirm where to locate and angle the camera. Industry standards require Mr. Baldwin to use a replica or rubber prop gun whenever possible. It was unnecessary for Mr. Baldwin to use a revolver for the lineup. Industry standards require Mr. Baldwin, as a producer and lead actor, to accept the revolver directly from or in the presence of the production's armor. Mr. Baldwin did not accept the revolver from the armor. The armorer was not even in the same room. Mr. Baldwin allowed Mr. Halls, the first assistant director, to confirm for him the deadly weapon was safe. Mr. Halls was not qualified in weapons and safety. Mr. Halls did not look at every round in the revolver's cylinder. Industry standards require that Mr. Baldwin personally perform or observe a visual inspection of the revolver to confirm it contained no live Industry standards require Mr. Baldwin to be trained and qualified in safe handling and proper firing procedures before accepting the revolver. Mr. Baldwin refused weapons training on how to perform a crossword, the type of gun draw he was about to perform in the church. The first rule for safety with firearms and a production set required Mr. Baldwin to treat all firearms as if they were loaded and refrain from pointing a firearm at any. The industry standard required Mr. Baldwin to remember that any person or object at which he points a firearm could be destroyed. Mr. Baldwin aimed the revolver at his cast and crew within a dangerous distance. The cast and crew were only four feet away from Mr. Baldwin's weapon. Industry standards required Mr. Baldwin to ensure any crew in the line of fire had protective glass or other personal protective equipment. Industry standards required remote operation of the camera if Mr. Baldwin ever aimed the gun at the camera.
When you shake a dummy round, you hear a BB rattle. When you shake a live bullet, you do not hear you know it's mechanical uh, and i think purposely so but it's very powerful it's a very powerful video and it's explaining every step of the way. And again, they go back to the George Stephanopoulos interview of where he denies ever pulling the trigger. But even the expert uh, from Fox, uh, ballistic expert, said the gun could not could not have gone off without him pulling the trigger. And, you know, one of the things that we learn, I'd just like to back up a little bit. We learned uh, ad nauseum going to the range for how many years you go to the range when you're on the NYPD is before you holster your weapon, you do a visual and a physical inspection of that weapon to determine if it is in fact empty. None of those things were done. And they're, they're highlighting in a very powerful, I'm sure that that video is going to be used in the civil trial. And I don't know in a way why they gave the defense a heads up to see what they're up against but I'm sure that that video will be shown in the civil trial. You know, Billy, um, there's some things that, 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 uh, the person that was narrating cited, uh, you know, the industry standards are there in place. They're not there in place for real live rounds, obviously, because you'd never use a real live round. Now, for instance, they talk about the plexiglass because it's a short distance away. When you use a blank, a blank has a full charge. However, there's no projectile on the end of the bullet. So it does expel gunpowder. It expels gases. And there could be uh, different things that, that that could affect a person. Uh, you know, if it's placed up against a person's body could still cause an injury. So that's why they're talking about plexiglass or a plastic barrier. However, that wouldn't stop a bullet. That's something that's done for the safety, uh, you know, based on the standards of the, the type of uh, blanks that they use and stuff like that. Now, how did this bullet get into this gun? Uh, how did it get mixed in with the ammunition? Now, we know that there was target practice being taken uh, in the previous days before the incident happened. Uh, there was unhappy uh, people on the set that actually quit and walked off the set. They showed some of the text messages or emails that went back and forth where people were talking about how, how they were playing fast and loose with safety. So did someone slip around into the, uh, into the, 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 the blanks uh, to, to maybe cause some chaos because they weren't happy? I don't think you'd have to really be uh, a deviant person to do something like that. I don't think that that's what happened. However, the fact that they were taking target practice in and around the area of the set, that's probably how the bullets got mixed up, in my opinion. However, I don't know. I don't have intimate knowledge of the case. But then when we saw in that uh, that video reproduction that they uh, that that they came up with, there's two other people behind the camera. There was Helena Hutchins who was killed, and Joel Souza who was the Director that was shot in the shoulder and survived. There's two other people there. I think one was a camera steadier or something like that. So and a, and a gaffer, I believe. So those two people will be very instrumental on what they observe regarding 
the seconds before the shot was fired, what they observed, what they heard. And again, we know that Baldwin took the gun from uh, David Holtz, who's not the armorer. We know from that video, the armorer wasn't even present in the room. So you have numerous safety standards that were violated. Um, they're talking about at least 15 they talked about using a rubber prop gun. And, and why would they use the actual gun? This wasn't even a, a, an actual, uh, you know, a, 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 a piece of film that they were going to use. This was just like a, a dry run, a practice run. They should have been using a fake firearm, a rubber gun. And then sure. when, when a gun is going to be pointed in the direction of the camera, they talk about using a remote for the camera. And, and again, that wasn't. Uh, that that uh, practice wasn't employed. So you know, uh, Phil. According to the lawyers, there are at least 15 industry standards that were violated, including failing to use a rubber prop gun, failing to treat the gun on set as if it were loaded, and operating a camera remotely, which you just suggested, when a firearm is aimed at or near a camera. Uh, the, uh, according to Duncan Levin, a former federal prosecutor, New York-based criminal defense attorney said filing a civil case before prosecutors have even filed criminal charges introduces several complications, and those are victims of crime should tread carefully, particularly during this critical period when law enforcement is investigating the case. Levin told The Post, criminal investigators are never particularly pleased with a parallel civil case being brought by crime victims. It's a parallel investigation being conducted by non-law enforcement who are trying to talk to the same people and trying to collect the same evidence. It's duplicative and sometimes confuses people. In certain circumstances, it could appear that victims care more about getting money than about enforcing their rights in court. I think we spoke about this before. In this case, I think that the civil case is actually more important than the criminal case because I think the victims need to be compensated for the loss of the life of Halna Hutchins, especially you see that beautiful family right there. That's her husband and her son. So I think that in this case, I think that's more important than the criminal case of punishing someone. Yes, was there gross negligence on this film? Absolutely. Should someone be punished? Yes. But isn't it more important that the victims in some way try, they attempt to make them whole again? And they'll never be whole again because this young boy lost his mom and her husband lost his wife. You know, uh, that picture was the husband, Mike, and the son, Andros. And uh, obviously, uh, money's not going to bring back Helena. But I think that the husband seems to be on a uh, a mission to get industry, industry standards changed where this could never, ever happen again. And there's been other previous shootings where live rounds got into these guns in the past. And there's been some other accidents on sets where people have been killed. So I think that taking on that mission is probably something that, you know, uh, his wife would probably want. Um, you know, someone has to, has to pay for this. And, uh, th there's probably going to be criminal as well as the civil case. And again, like I said earlier, uh, when you get hit deep in the pockets on these type of things, these, th these are a business, you know, these insurance companies are in business to make money, not lose money. These production companies are in a business to make money. So all of these things are, uh, are going to maybe, Pr promote change going into the future. So I think that that's a, a, a something that th the family should look for. And listen, they're not going to get uh, their loved one back. There's never going to be closure for them. There'll be some type of closure. Maybe there'll be uh, something that they can, you know, feel uh, like there was justice done. 
but uh, I don't believe in the word closure when it comes to losing a loved one like this. There's just, uh, as days go on, you get able to live with it uh, a little bit easier maybe as time goes on. But then the justice part of it is another component that might bring some type of what we call closure. I don't think it's ever closure, like I said, but it'll bring some type of closure. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Uh, today we decided if we do a show before six, we'll call it Coffee with Cannon. Just that's, that's the new rules. Um, folks, if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, please go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. And we also have a Patreon with three different levels. If you want to support us, we'd appreciate that. And we have uh, a YouTube family membership, POTC, we call it, Police Off the Cuff members. And you can support us on our YouTube channel. And that's um, indicative of people that are in the chat that have the green font. They're all our supporters. And there's five different levels. I won't go over what they are, but we'd appreciate your support. This is such a horrible case. I mean, because, you know, it didn't have to happen, obviously. No accidents. No one ever prepares for an accident. But preparation is following the rules. And clearly, we're finding out now, and months and months after the fact, that really there's at least 15 uh, rules and regulations that were just totally violated, which led to Helena Hutchins' death. And more and more truth comes out as more and more people are spoken to, more and more people are interviewed. And of course, the ultimate truth will come out both in the criminal case and the, and the civil case. But it's, it's you know, some of Hollywood actors, uh, one who actually named himself George Clooney, said that you never, ever take a firearm and not check yourself to see if it was loaded, to do, a, like we said, a visual and physical inspection of that firearm. And Alec Baldwin uh, takes no responsibility. I think in one of the interviews with George Stephanopoulos, uh, he asked him if he had any guilt. And he said, uh, absolutely none, none. And I think when he said that, I think a lot of people lost, if they had any respect for them, they lost any respect they had from when he said that. It was just, you have no guilt whatsoever. You know, you're the one, and even if you're going to lie and say you didn't pull the trigger, you're the one whose hand the gun was in when it when it went off. And I know you pulled the trigger, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt here. When it went off and killed Helena Hutchins. So with that alone, you have no guilt, zero guilt. Billy, you know how I've said it in the past and we've talked about that, how he responded to that question so quickly. That's been burning my butt since the minute that he said it. Uh, I just feel terrible that he could come across as so cross, uh, you know, so crass and so brazen to say that so quickly. He was trying to portray himself as being sympathetic and uh, remorseful to the, to the, you know, throughout the whole interview. But when he was asked that question, he answered it so quickly. It was terrible. Just on a personal note, I was, uh, you and I met on the, on the set of the perfect murder. I was in three episodes of that uh, show in the last episode that I was in. Uh, I had a, a one of the closing scenes of the show, point the gun and make an arrest. Now, the gun wasn't fired. On the direction of the executive producer, Ricky Torelli, who's a retired NYPD detective, and myself being gun safety conscious, I was handed the gun by the armorer. And then I took the actor on the side and I said, come here, I want to show you. And I opened the gun. It had a clip in it. I showed him the gun had no 
there was no projectiles in it. It was a prop gun. But I took the time and it took an extra 10 seconds to show the actor that he was going to come walking out of a building and I was going to point the fire on Adam. He had absolutely nothing to worry about. I showed it to him ahead of time. The scene went off great. Thank God without any issues. But when we had people on set, an NYPD detective myself retired and the executive producer who's also an NYPD detective retired who had, you know, we had numerous hours of gun safety and training. And then the armorer handed the gun. So all of the protocols were followed on that set that day. Had that been on this. And Phil, that was a low budget film too. Imagine. Yes, of course. Of course. And the funny thing about it was the armorer, the person who's in charge of the props and the armor, he was the one that was that was really being cognizant of it. And then Ricky grabbed me before we, we started to do the scene. He says, maybe you want to show the actor? I, absolutely. I called him over before he was coming out of this location. And, and believe me, the day we did it, it was about 15 degrees with 25 mile an hour winds. We were freezing, but it took an extra 10 seconds. I called the guy over. I said, look, this is the gun I'm going to be pointing at you. I showed him how it worked. It was obviously empty. And, uh, you know, we did the scene and it, it came off great. But again, why didn't they follow these simple, simple safety standards? Let's, let's see. Well, let's watch a little bit of the edited version of this interview with George Stephanopoulos, where he, go, he talks about some of that stuff. Clearly so right there on the surface, you felt shock. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? No, no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that, 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 Someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Baldwin now awaiting the outcome of the sheriff's investigation, hoping whatever it uncovers helps to ensure a tragedy like this never happens again. What do we come out of this learning? What do we come out of it? What changes can be made? Because where you have a person where, where, as I said, this is one in a billion that someone puts a real bullet in the gun. That never happens. And the idea that a real bullet was in that gun and would come out of that gun and kill that, that, that was not even in the realm of possibility. And that's the thing that they must find out is where, who brought bullets onto the set? So he, I mean, that's the most despicable part of this interview where he says, oh, no, no, I have no responsibility. I, uh, there's someone that does is responsible. I don't know who Did that is. Did you see how quick he answered when he asked him if he felt guilty? Well, that's because I think that this was rehearsed, too, Scripted, and it was definitely sure. edited. There was no way this was just a, a live. No, if they, Look, if this was live like we do it, there would be no editing, no cuts. There were so many right. cuts, and, you know, they they did things over. And so, like, to, for him to say, oh, no, I, I wasn't responsible. Oh, no. You know, it's just, look, I'm going to be truthful. I never liked Alec Baldwin to begin with, and I think that's obvious. But I think that had I not known anything about him and I watched this interview knowing what happened, I would say, how does this person not take any responsibility for his actions that resulted in the death of, of a young woman? I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling, mind-boggling. It tells you a lot about his mindset. His mindset, he doesn't feel guilt. He doesn't feel responsibility for it. He basically is, and he said it right at the end there, 
uh, we have to find out who put, uh, uh, you know, live ammunition in this thing. So he's already like looking to blame someone else. And listen, that might be that someone else put the live ammunition in there, but there were safety protocols that weren't followed. They were violated. And how could he not? as a human being, feel guilt. I just find that mind boggling to me. There's been times in my life that th things happen that were out of my control. And, and of course you feel guilty about it. I mean, obviously not something like to this magnitude where a person was killed, but you know, uh, just little silly things. I, I can remember years ago, a cousin of mine was having a birthday party. He was supposed to be surprised. And I, I slipped and, and, and he found out about it and I felt terrible. And man, that was uh, something silly, you know? I mean, years later we wound up getting him back. We got him really good with the, with a surprise birthday party. But the point is for that little bit of time, I felt terrible. I felt guilty about it. And, you know, that's something that's insignificant. This is a person's life was taken. And, you know, it just shows you his, his attitude, his mindset. He doesn't feel any guilt about it. And, uh, you know, let's see where the chips are going to fall. I think that uh, they're going to get to the truth in this because a lot of the people that were in and around this set that worked on it, there's those four people behind the camera beside, besides uh, Helena Hutchins and Joel Souza, the other two people that were by the camera. And there may have been other people in the room behind Baldwin. I don't know how many other people total, but we're going to get to the bottom of it. We'll get the answers. And uh, he's not going to be able to lie. He's not going to be able to cover up anything. I think that uh, the gun has probably already been examined. And, and I'm, you know. I'm, I'm well, you know, Phil, I, I wanted to mention something. I want to mention something about that. Um, people that are not familiar with uh, ballistics and how guns are tested, they will test the gun in every way up and down to make sure it's operable and it has no chance of malfunctioning. Right. So if they do the test and they show that, no, this gun cannot go off and it's totally operable. So if it's operable six months after they, after the incident and it, it, it just, it makes sense that it was totally operable that day. And those are some of the ballistics tests they'll do on it. So for him to say that, he never pulled the trigger. And then you put a ballistics expert on the stand and say the gun could not have gone off unless someone pulled the trigger. Who do you think they're going to believe the person has that has a stake in the game that is facing potentially criminal charges, but absolutely civil charges. Are we going to believe him or, or a ballistics expert who is close to being a scientist in regards to the science of, uh, of ballistics, which it is a science. Absolutely. And and think about it. Uh, he's seated. He's doing that cross draw, which he didn't practice. He didn't get any safety training on it. Very easily he could have. I, I don't think there's intent here. I don't think he intended to kill Helena Hutchins or shoot Joel Souza. He accidentally hit that trigger. And, and I mean, it's clear, you know, uh, and then they talk about uh, he was pulling the hammer back. And can you see that? Can you see that? Do we know for sure if that happened? I think the other people in the room are going to be able to, give testimony and give uh, a statement on that. And we'll know for sure. And again, uh, was the camera rolling? You know, what well, we have that evidence. And then if the camera's rolling, then you'll see exactly where his finger was, you know? So, yeah. and you have four people in the room. Uh, obviously, Helena Hutchins is deceased. She's not going to be able to make any statement on it, but you have the other people and they'll get to the bottom of it. Did he accidentally fire that gun? I would say 100% yes, he did. I don't think he did it with intent. I think he accidentally hit that trigger. Uh, the live round shouldn't have been in the gun. And now we're going to see where it's going to go with regard to uh, what kind of liability is going to be civil as well as criminally.
Vet girl or WB? Good question. The hammer thing uh, has always had me puzzled. Well, you know, we had ballistics experts explain this on our show in great depth, and there was a really excellent ballistics expert who explained it for Fox News. And there was three levels of pulling back the hammer. Where you pull it back a slight bit, it locks. Pull it back a second time, it locks. Pull it back all the way, it locks. Therefore, even if you put your thumb on it and and you release pressure, that it, it would not, it would not move all the way forward. It might move a slight bit forward, but not enough to strike the primer and make the round go off. To make the hammer go forward, you needed uh, ad nauseum. I'm saying this. You needed to pull the trigger, and that's scientifically proven. And that, you know, I know not everyone here is. Uh, has a lot of ballistics knowledge, so that's why we're attempting to explain it. I'm totally not a ballistics expert, but I understand this part of the ballistic science. Bill, you're making a great point because the the timing of the gun, now when you do pull the trigger, first of all, that's a single action gun. So you can't just pull the trigger and it's going to fire. The hammer has to be cocked back. We, we had our ballistic ex expert on and he explained that. Now, once the hammer is pulled all the way back and it locks in the position, the only way that that hammer is going to strike the round, the firing pin and cause it to go off is if the trigger is pulled, that releases it. So unless that was done, the only way that it could have gone off the way Baldwin is saying is if he had his finger down on the trigger while he was pulling that hammer back. And then if he let it go, yes, the trigger's already pulled. The trigger is already depressed. Then it can strike the primer and the gun can go off. That's the only way it could be. Unless the gun is defective, we feel pretty certain the gun is not defective. You know, guys, I found the, um, I know we'll quickly we'll, we'll put this up there. I found the Fox 5 ballistics expert and we'll, we'll we'll play this just to give everyone the idea of how this works uh, there's definitely two deliberate acts that were required there he had to shock the gun and he had to press the trigger if he had his finger on the trigger if he had his finger on the trigger here and he's pressing it yeah. he may not be aware that he's pressed the trigger then he pulls the hammer back right. and then releases it and then the gun fires That's exactly what i said Billy, could you freeze that for a second? I just want to make, oh, well, could you go back to that or no? Yeah, sure. Hang on one second. Because I want to make a point. There's a very strong point I want to make about it. Okay. If you look at the firing pin just past the person's thumb, there's the part that sticks out. That's what strikes the round. Now, the cylinder part it doesn't, it's not in the position. The round is not lined up with the barrel until that's fully depressed back. So the timing of the barrel, the barrel spins. There's a, there's a thing called timing. As you pull that back, it spins the barrel and it places the round in the position to go down the barrel of the gun. So the cartridge, I'm calling it the round, but the cartridge inside the chamber of the gun is not in position. So if it's only half cocked, and he releases it, it's not gonna strike, it's not gonna strike the firing pin because it wouldn't be in position. However, if it's all the way back, and like that expert just testified, if he like like he demonstrated, if he had his finger on the trigger and he pulled it all the way back, now the barrel has turned. The 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 cartridge is in position and the firing pin can strike and the bullet can be expelled from the gun. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh, I was glad I was able to find that because that was that was, that was perfect. It shows um, 
it shows that the gun will not go off unless you pull the trigger. And that, right. that uh, a visual demonstration, as well as it being narrated by us, uh, it really gives a, uh, a good view to the viewer and to the listener as to what is true and what is not true. That's you know, Phil, exactly what I think happened, Bill, too, because uh, I said it right before you played that video. If he was drawing and he grabbed the gun and he had his finger on the trigger and pulled it back and then he pulled back that hammer, that's very likely and possibly how this horrible accident happened. It is, but there's also a good possibility that he's just straight out lying. You know, uh, sweet Melissa, could everything actually be an innocent freak accident? Because you're right about intentions. Well, could someone have been playing around and is afraid to come forward? I don't believe harmful people. I think that the neglect, there's, there's a lot of negligence in this whole incident to go around for a lot of different people. But certainly Alec Baldwin is one of them. How that live round got in that gun, will they ever be able to find that out? I don't know. But that is a part of the negligence that could have been, you know, sweet Melissa. I love that name, by the way. Um, you, you hear about uh, checks and balances, you know, and there has to be, you know, uh, responsibility by the person, not just the armorer, the person who's handed the gun. And again, this gun wasn't handed to Alec Baldwin by the armorer. He should have objected to that too, but he didn't. And then when it was handed to him by the wrong person, he also didn't check that firearm. So you could see many levels of negligence, many levels of mistakes. You know, Phil, I know I agreed. To, I was only going to try to stay on today for about 40 minutes. We're past that. Yes. Uh, folks, I'm so glad that you all came and watched us today with, uh, I thought, a pretty informative episode of uh, Coffee with Cannon. we got some great shows coming up. I'm, I don't have enough time right now to tell you about all of them. But Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're going live all three nights at 9 p.m. with some really interesting shows. Phil, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Listen, uh, each one of these people that's involved in this thing are going to retain attorneys. The attorneys are going to do everything in their power to try and take the onus off their clients. So everybody's going to be pointing fingers at one another. They're going to be doing this. Uh, the bottom line is the investigation will yield exactly what did happen. I'm sure we're going to find that down the line, no matter what Baldwin said in his interview, trying to get out in front of it. Uh, God bless Helena Hutchins and her family. I hope that they do find some peace and uh, they do get justice. And looking forward to those uh, free shows that we got lined up uh, in the coming days next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thank you for having me on today, Billy. Appreciate it. Hey, it was great, folks. Uh, from Bill Cannon and Phil Grimaldi from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, Coffee with Cannon, <laughs> because it's before six. Uh, thank you so much for watching and have a safe day. Stay safe, everyone. One episode. Just ain't enough